Hey there, and welcome to episode 98 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. Today, I am joined by Chef Evelyn Williams, a culinary brand strategist and the CEO of Flavor Enterprises. In this episode, we are talking about building a high-end culinary brand and the steps and the mindset you need to have in order to charge premium prices for your products and to attract that high-end following. So we have a ton to talk about today, and I know that you are going to love hearing from Chef Evelyn directly. So let's get right to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is sponsored by the Good Food Awards, the nation's first and only initiative to honor food and drink crafters for excellence in both taste and sustainability. Each summer, the Good Food Awards opens entries to crafters across 18 delicious categories. I honestly cannot recommend this nonprofit organization enough after working closely with them for seven years. The entry form takes just five minutes to complete with a deadline at the end of this month on June 30th. You'll ship your samples in late late August with a big blind tasting that has included really fantastic judges like Alice Waters, Samin Nosrat, Michael Pollan, and many, many more. In a recent awards season, 23 Retail Ready students were finalists, and 15 of those were honored as winners. In witnessing their growth, I can tell you that it is an incredible marketing and community building opportunity, with many winners reporting between 10 and in one case, 400% growth in the following year. The fee to enter is $78 and entry period is June 1st to the 30th. So be sure to go to goodfoodfdn.org to make your submissions and use the code foodbizwiz for 10% off your first entry. Welcome, Evelyn. Thanks for joining on Food Biz Wiz. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Okay, so my whizzes. I am excited for this episode because I know, I know that most of my listeners would describe your products as high end, certainly in terms of price point. But as you know, sometimes it can be challenging to get people to pay our premium prices. And I'm betting it's because there is a disconnect between the product and the price that we want to charge and the brand that we have in place. So Chef Evelyn is going to shed some light on that for us today. But before we dive in, let me give some background on Evelyn, and then we will get right to our conversation. So Chef Evelyn is a former chemical and environmental engineer who has spent over a decade in various chef, instructor, and curriculum developer developer capacities. So she's worked with celebrity clients, and she ran an award-winning cooking school, all after making this decision to follow her passion and pursue culinary entrepreneurship full-time. So Evelyn... That is quite a background. <laughs> let's let's dig into it. So tell me, let's let's skip ahead to today. What are you currently doing with your clients like day in and day out in here we are, June 2021? So yeah, basically what I spend my time doing with my clients is 
mainly I'm working with people who have established businesses or maybe they're early in their business and, you know, they're making money, but they're like, hey, I really want to draw in a certain clientele or I want to, you know, increase my rates or, you know, I'm having people who want to negotiate my prices or just not the best experience. And usually I find that it's some kind of disconnect, like you mentioned um, just briefly with their brand. And so I work with them from when people first find their brand all the way into someone becomes a client or a customer, a repeat customer on how to create what I call like this high-end luxury client experience. So that's what I spend the majority of my time doing. Yeah, I I love this. And I think it's, it's so needed because we have all of these amazing products all out there, all of these amazing services in the food industry that just... I mean, frankly, don't make it because there is that disconnect with (laughs) the prices they need to charge and what the consumer is willing to pay. Absolutely. And so I find that it's not that their their product or their service isn't great. It just isn't packaged the way Mm -hmm. it needs to be packaged and presented in the marketplace in the right positioning. You know, one of the examples that I use with my client is, you know, we several of us have heard of the high-end brand Hermes, but if you found an Hermes product in Walmart, you'd be confused or you wouldn't think that it was real or you wouldn't, you know, you would you would think something was wrong with it. Yeah, you're like, that's so, a fake. <laughs> right, you're like, that's not real, right? Yeah. And so it's the same thing when it comes to having a high-end, you know, food product or a high-end food service that it, mm-hmm. if you're positioned properly in the marketplace, it eliminates that confusion. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm excited to talk about this because like I said, I, you know, I see it in retail ready. I previously would see it with my one-on-one clients where they they're smart. They've run their numbers. They realize that they, they literally have to charge these high-end prices in order to make their business model work. But still there's, it's hard to do it, right? It's hard to, it's hard to have the confidence to do it. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to actually put all those pieces in place, all those like consumer touch points. And, um, I'm excited. I'm so excited that we finally got to meet and for me to realize that there is someone who specializes in exactly this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I mean, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, You know, I talk about obviously mainly in the food space, but I mean, the things that we're sharing today could apply to any product or service. So like, this is just my, I'm so excited. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, me too. And I think um, before we get into it, I'm going to give Cynthia Samanian a shout out for connecting us. So Cynthia, Cynthia has actually been on our podcast twice. I think she's the only repeat guest that I've ever had on my podcast. And she, you know, she's a fellow female in food here in San Francisco or in the Bay Area. And um, she reached out to me and she was like, you have to meet Chef Evelyn. (laughs) She has the perfect topic to come and talk to your audience about. So I'm I'm really grateful. If Cynthia's listening, Cynthia, I'm grateful for you and the introduction that that you made for us. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's kick it off like very, very basic, like high level. What is what do you mean when you say high-end culinary brand? And like how is that different than just a standard culinary brand? Yeah. So when I say high-end culinary brand, I mean I think the first thing that comes to mind or most people assume, you know, is obviously the price point, mm. which is a factor to a high-end culinary brand, but it's not the only factor. And, you know, to put it high level, I would say that a high-end culinary brand is something that is specialized and you're you're not competing based on commodity 
or price that you're competing based on um, value experience and quality. And so whether it's, you know, an olive oil or a catering service, it's about how do you make yourself unique in the marketplace? How do you create an experience, whether it's a product or service-based brand and not just have great customer service? Because I do think there's a distinctive difference between good customer service and a great client or customer experience regardless of whatever kind of food product that you have. And so that's what a high-end culinary brand is. And I, and when I'm doing my YouTube videos and I'm sharing with my community, I always tell them, you can be successful at any level. McDonald's yeah. is successful. Walmart is successful. But so are, you know, Michelin star restaurants and, yeah. you know, more um, higher price things. So it's not about a right or a wrong. But like you said, some people run the numbers and they're like, in order for this to make sense, I automatically fall into this category. Yeah. And so I help them build the things around that, that will give them the confidence to charge that price. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say that, and this is a little bit off script here, but I, I imagine that people come to you and they know that they need to elevate their brand to some extent, mm-hmm. but there's some, like, there's some hesitation there, right? It's like, well, I don't want to be unapproachable or I don't want to be like, you know, like the fancy one or like, I want to be like a product for the people. Um, I'm sure you experience that, right? With every single client. I I cannot say that I've met anyone who hasn't been hesitant, particularly when we get to the, okay, let's double or triple or quadruple your your prices. And they're like, excuse me, what did you say? And what I tell them is there is a formula to it, but but the pieces are so intangible. Yes, there's some technical things. There's some branding and imaging things and things like that. But there's some also some intangible things that go along with being able to communicate that value to the consumer uh, without you having to say a word mm. or having the confidence to do that. But yeah, every, every single client is like, I, I'm not ready to increase my prices. <laughs> Yeah. I I mean, I get that. Like I can even like think about myself, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago when I was like, what? Like I have to figure out my hourly rate. And like, I ran the numbers and I was like, I can't possibly, you know, I can't possibly say that number out loud, but that's the number I need to say in order to like pay my rent. So I get it. I get it. There's like the reality of (laughs) like what we like morally feel okay with doing and, and what like truly like our business model says we have to do and like finding that I don't know. Find, finding the confidence is so, so important. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've got this high-end culinary brand and I love that you said that you had that distinction that it's not just about price. It's about like the, the experience through and through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I find that if, you know, most people have some area of their life where they like luxury or high-end or something, mm. it could be you <laughs> want a Yeti cooler versus the styrofoam one from the dollar store, or it could be you like to stay at both boutique hotels where someone else is okay with, you know, the random, whatever they find on TripAdvisor. Like everyone usually has something in their life. Maybe you like local craft beers and someone yeah. is okay with, you know, the national brands. And typically it's a combination of craftsmanship you know, the actual product or the thing that you're buying, but there's something else about it that draws you to that. And so that is unique per person and per brand. And so I feel like my, you know, my fairy brandmother skill is helping people 
define what that is for them and then making sure that they have that on display at all times. Yeah. Oh, you're so right here. I mean, I, as you were talking, the thing that came to mind for me is my husband. And I always say it's really good that he doesn't listen to this podcast because I often use him as an example, but like Ian will spend like gosh, like $30 on an undershirt from J crew. And like, he has to like have these, I mean, literally it's like a white V-neck undershirt and he like only likes it from J crew. And yet he'll buy like, you know, the Hanes crew socks from target. And that's totally fine. And I always get on his case about like, you know, needing the like fancy, fancy undershirts, but there's just, I don't know, something that he has made up in his mind about that experience and what he gets when he spends $30 for an undershirt from J crew. Absolutely. And we all have it. You know, my <laughs> vice is cosmetics. I love okay. luxury cosmetics. Right. And so people are like, well, you can get a lipstick from, you know, the drugstore for $5. Why would you pay 50 or 60 or $90? And it's like, there's some things there that, you know, we're all drawn to. And what I have studied over the years is that regardless of whatever that product is, right? Whether it's the J Crew undershirt or the lipstick or the hotel, there are some commonalities on why people are drawn and actually wanting and willing to pay a higher price point. And yeah. so I just kind of like to live in that space. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I love it. Um, gosh, yeah, lipstick too. I think that's a good one. I think about like my wedding lipstick. Um, it was like very, you know, particular. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this like Tom Ford lipstick and it's going to be really effing expensive. And like the whole experience is beautiful, right? Even like the way the case like clicks together. Yeah, the, magnetic like, case. <laughs> the magnetic case is just, there's something so sexy about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm painting this picture in my mind and I, I, <laughs> I have a sense of this, but can you tell our listeners like where this whole concept of a high-end culinary brand came from? Yeah. I mean, it really came from my own experience and it's mm. kind of two-sided. I was, you know, um, personal chefing and doing dinner parties and things like that. And, and very early on, I started running into people who would want to negotiate my rates or mm. nitpick apart my invoice or say, oh, we don't want the flowers, we don't want the candles, we don't want the tablescape. And I was like, I I don't know how not to do that, right? (laughs) And I found myself not really enjoying that Mm. experience. Mm. And then I started making some changes to my business. And then all of a sudden, all of my clients were either really high net worth or celebrated or celebrity. And I didn't even notice this. It took my own coach at the time to go, yep, 95% of your career has been high end uh, in the food space, working for a high end grocery retailer for several years. And she was like, so teach people that. And I was, she was like, figure out what you're doing intrinsically um, that you were able to make that switch and kind of live there for a while and, and do that. And so once I really sat down, it probably took me about a year and a half to really drill down and go, what were the changes that I made? What, what did I notice? What did my higher end clients really enjoy about mm-hmm. my services versus the clients that I was attracting previously. And that is where the high-end culinary brand came from because I realized I was like, oh, you made all these changes. And immediately you started getting people who they don't want to pay a po- deposit. They just wanted to pay in full and they would tip me almost the same amount as what they invested <laughs> in the experience. Right. You know, it, it just became easier. Yeah. Became, yeah. Well, and it sounds like you really found you found the right clients, right? Yeah. And like, it just, 
I, I, I feel you on that so, so much that like when you're doing something that you're delivering a service or you're again, like nitpicking that invoice and like cutting things off. And it's really out of alignment of what like you truly want to deliver to the client. Like it's never going to feel good. Never. Because I felt like I wasn't giving them all of what I mm. could or wanted to right? You know, yeah. um, particularly from a service standpoint, I was definitely into like, this is the reason why I got into food because I love to create Mm. this experience, this environment. And what I found with the people who weren't wanting to invest at a higher level is they wanted a commodity style experience. We just want the food, right? right? We'll even buy the groceries or whatever their, you know, angle was. And I I remember thinking, that's not who I am. And so Mm. I, I changed and said, I don't, I don't even offer those kind of services. Yeah. And I think there's something so powerful about recognizing that in yourself and, and having the confidence to, you know, put that stake in the ground and change your business model. Yes, absolutely. And even, you know, if it comes to, you know, a product or services, I mean, a product based food product, if it's like, if you know you want to package in this kind of packaging and you know you want this kind of labeling and this kind of, you know, topper or whatever, or um, I have lipsticks that have like accessories that you can put on them, which is a whole different thing. But if you want to go that far, just build that into the price and then add more because you're creating this interactive experience with your product. Yeah. And I think it's, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's really important that, that it's not just building it into your price and charging more, you know, cause you could, you know, you could say I'm an olive oil brand and I'm going to, I'm going to add a stopper and we're going to have letterpress labels and it's going to come, the bottle's going to come in a box and like, you know, on and on and on. Right. And we're just going to make it expensive. But unless you've got all the other pieces in place, no one's going to pay your expensive price. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's from the moment the person first encounters your brand, wherever that may be. And I think the challenge when when people are trying to figure out on their own how to create this high-end culinary brand is, mm-hmm. well, people can encounter your product in a multitude of ways, right? But yeah. it's from that initial meeting of your brand all the way until they become a client or a repeat customer that is like, and every little thing that happens in between. And it's really about just like one percenting the experience. You know, mm. it's not this huge jump that people think, but it's being very thoughtful and intentional throughout your whole customer journey. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah. So we'll talk about those, those steps in a second, but before we do, I, I want to address our listeners who are like, okay, I hear you. Like I would like to charge more, but like, I'm still on the fence. You know, Evelyn convince me (laughs) what, like, what are the benefits of having a high end culinary brand? Like why, why would someone say like, yes, I'm, I am going to, I'm going to follow Evelyn's lead. I'm going to put a stake in the ground and like, I'm going to claim that space. I mean, I think the first thing is kind of what I just touched on is you get a different uh, group of clientele or Mm. customers. Right. Mm, So um, and so your interaction with them when you're doing customer service or there's client inquiries or anything like that, that experience becomes a lot more pleasurable and Mm. seamless. Um, So I would say that's the first thing. It takes a lot of headache uh, out of your business when you're working with clients who are like the price is not an issue. And so I found that just that just made, you know, my quality of life, my quality of work a lot better. Yes. Yes. So yes, right. Yes. I to be like the lower my price point was at the time. I got people who wanted a gallon size worth of product or experience for a teaspoon worth of investment, and and you find yourself like 
trying to overgive and they were never satisfied. And I was just like, I, I can't do this. I got well, into this because I love it. Yeah. Evelyn, I was going to say the same exact thing. Like it, you know, when I was earlier in my business, every once in a while I would sell, you know, like a $29.99 online workshop, you know, $30 workshop. And I would sell, you know, a couple hundred of them. And those were the people who requested refunds, who wanted more, who wanted like one-on-one -on -one time with me for free to like dig deeper into the content. And then sure enough, we sell retail ready for far, far more than $29. Yeah. And those are my star students who come in, they do the work, they take responsibility for their own success. Sure, they're asking questions and engaging with the content, but they're not asking for refunds because they, you know, couldn't figure out how to download a PDF. Exactly. So I would say that's probably like the top benefit, product, service, consulting, you name it. Yep. That's probably the top benefit. I think another benefit for me and what I find my, for my clients is that it, it allows them to have a brand to be fully expressed, right? Mm. Creatively, which is usually they have all these ideas on how they want to make their product or service interesting or better, but they don't, they haven't built a container big enough to hold all of those ideas. Um, and when I say container, I'm talking about their brand. They, you know, the box isn't big enough. And so they're like, well, I can't really do that. And I can't really do that. And so they they feel boxed into a corner. Whereas when you build a high-end colony brand, you take all those things into consideration, kind of like what you just said, like, well, yes, if you want to letter press, you know, your labels and you want to have this kind of bottle and supper, that's fine. But let's make sure we have built a brand that makes sense, you know, around yeah. that product and all the things you want to do. And so they feel like, oh, I can really be all of who I am or all mm. that I've had inside of my brain and put it into this business. And I find that you know, people who get into, you know, food or food products and services, you know, there's a lot of passion there. And so you, yeah. you passion is big. You need a container big enough for that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I hadn't really made that connection, right? That when we like play small and are like really like nickel and, and diming things, it, it really, it restricts our creativity. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about like that. I love that. Yeah. And I would say, obviously, you know, the price point is a benefit, right? Um, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I tell people all the time, I was like, I, we're not ignoring that. That's probably the number one draw is yeah. that, you know, it does feel better when, you know, whatever you decide your high end price point is where people pay it in full and, and, the, and they're excited about it. Right. You know, yeah. I've had clients invest, you know, really at a really, really high level and go, I feel like I'm getting a steal. And and yeah. so nothing feels better than to be compensated well for what you are offering, but also for your clients or, or customers or consumers to feel like that they've got an amazing deal, even when they're paying luxury prices. Totally. I mean, we see this, we see this in retail ready people, <laughs> people often say that, like, I can't believe it only costs this much. And one of the things that I always think is, you know, I'd rather have one new student in retail ready than a hundred people at that $30 price point. Right. Absolutely. It's just I'm like, I'd rather like really impact one person to, you know, the fullest extent that I can rather than just, you know, uh, letting, letting that hundred people just DIY. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say there's, there's lots of other intrinsic benefits. You know, I do talk a lot about from the service perspective that also having that higher price point gives you a certain level of um, free time in your schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're having to do 
at least for on the service side, massive amounts of volume, you have no life, right? But when you are charging, you know, at a higher level, it gives you some bandwidth in your schedule that you can take off. You can go on vacation. You know, you didn't build yourself into a cage. So there's so many things, but those are probably my top favorite benefits. Yeah. Oh, that, that idea of building a business that serves you and your life and having that little bit of padding to do so is is so important. We have a fair amount of caterers and service providers who listen to the podcast. So I'm sure that, I'm sure there were some light bulbs going off there too, where they're like, ah, that's how I do it. I had take on fewer clients for more money and I can like stop working 60 hours a week. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't even work 40. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So Evelyn, let's let's talk more about those steps, uh, those first few steps that our listeners can take once they recognize, like, yes, I'm gonna do it. Like, <laughs> all of these things sound wonderful. Where do I start? So here's the thing: the first step is usually is very counterintuitive to most people because people are like, you know, give me the technical, technical know-how. Mm-hmm. But I, honestly, the first step that I do with my clients is we get really clear on how they want to live and work, mm-hmm. and what it will take financially to do that because that will determine where on the hierarchy their brand should land, right? Are you, you know, I'll use the makeup example. Are you the most expensive product at Ulta? Are you the least expensive product at Sephora? Or are you at Harrods of London in in Selfridges, right? Right. So once they are really, really clear about how they want to live, what that will cost. And we get some solid numbers behind that. And we start looking at, okay, what are their products? What are their services? Because I also really talk a lot about having multiple streams of income. Mm, And we we put a formula together that will help them reach that number based on how they want to live and work. And that's the beginning because otherwise then you're just shooting numbers from nowhere. You're just pulling thin air, right? Oh, I just want to charge. You name it. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is so important because I I find I find brands approach me and and they're like, "Well, I really love, you know, I really love making jam or like I'm so passionate about CBD and what it's done for me and like I want to bring that to the masses." And, and then we like sit down and we look at it and it's like, "Okay, well, you love making jam, but do you love making, you know, 20 gallons of jam a week and like hustling your butt off to sell it and make $40,000 a year. Like, is, is that what you want? (laughs) There's a big difference between enjoying something because of your, your, um, you know, as a hobby or like as a personal pleasure and wanting to, to make a full-time business out of it. Absolutely. And so being really clear about, like you said, do you want to work that much and make this? And if you don't, then, okay, you love to make jam, but what other ways could we fulfill that desire or Mm. how much do you need to sell it for to offset the fact that, well, maybe $40,000 is enough for you, but maybe it's not, or maybe being in the the kitchen or, you know, working with a co-packer or whatever, maybe you don't want to be there, you know, five, six days a week. So that is the first step is really getting clear about you know, do you really want to spend this much time? How do you want to live, you know, vacations, family, um, you know, important dates, how much money, you know, do you need flowers every week? What, what is, what is your utopia? Yeah. And put a number on it. 
you were describing a lovely life. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> All of those things. I will say yes to them. Yeah. Okay. So what'd you say, Evelyn? I said, yeah, that's the first step is getting really yeah. clear about how you want to live. Yeah. I like that. Um, I think most people skip that step. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and then what happens? So you get really clear about what, where, how you want to live. And mm-hmm. then we go into what I call defining your distinct culinary point of view. Right. And so this is like the glue, like you need this to help you stand out in the marketplace. So mm-hmm. let's go back to what you were talking about. We'll, we'll just kind of beat the olive oil thing there for, cause I okay, think great. Really I'm ready. <laughs> okay. If I have an olive oil, right. Well, so do 737,000 other people. Yep. So what is it about my olive oil that somebody is going to reach for it over, you know, the 599 olive oil yep. that they can find at their random yep. local grocer, right? Yep. And so, I, you know, it's a culinary point of view. You, you, We've seen it in the Food Network. We see it in Celebrity Chefs. We see it in, you know, higher price things that they're really selling a story. Mm. And a lot of times people think that, you know, in food, you don't need a story. It's like, well, what do I make? Whether it's the product or whether it is the service, what kind of cuisine is it or what, what is it? And it's like, no, you need this defined culinary point of view because then it puts you in what I like to call the, the blue ocean. If anybody's ever heard of like blue ocean marketing, then it's like, it puts you in Tell a me what that is. So, so blue ocean marketing is imagine you're on like a little boat and you're mm-hmm. out in the way deep out in the ocean and there's nobody else around, right? Yep. Like if you can get that picture in your head. And that's oh, yes, I can. <laughs> I'm like terrified already. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, what that means is it's not crowded. Yeah, so, like it's just me. Like it's just me. no competition. No competition. Even if somebody else is making olive oil, they're not making it why you're making it and who you're making it for and the picture that you're trying to paint with your product or your service. Yep. And so getting really clear on that distinct culinary point of view um, is it just like opens the floodgates for you to be a category of one. Mm, Yeah. yeah. And then you're just, I like this idea. I know I said the open ocean is scary for me, but that's just you know, me being afraid of sharks. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is something that's so um, relieving. It almost feels like it takes the pressure off if you're not looking at that shelf and thinking like, oh God, I'm just like a replica of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's the thing, you know, obviously when you're on the shelf, like someone may not be getting your full brand experience when you're yeah. up against, you know, five other different products in your category. Yeah. Well, what happens if they, you know, maybe they don't buy your bottle this week, but the next time they re-up, you know, they kind of look at the packaging or maybe you had a little blurb on there or something. And they're like, okay, I'm going to try it. And then they go to your website and then they go to your social media or, um, you know, maybe you were at a fancy food show or maybe you yep. were vending somewhere and, you know, they got to see more about the brand. So, you know, this olive oil brand, I just went to their website and I can just order. But when I went to your website, you're giving me the history. You're telling me about how you're pressing the olives and the family who's doing it. You're giving me recipes. You're, you're giving me an an experience for a product. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I'm getting so much more value out of this. Well, of course their olive oil is $47 and theirs is $9.99. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and it, I like thinking about it as, you know, like you said at the beginning, all these different touch points Mm -hmm. and realizing that um, 
it's like the sum, the, what is it? The like, the sum of the, like sum of all parts, like mm-hmm. um, adds up to something greater. And that's yeah. like greater, like high-end experience. Absolutely. So yeah, like once you get that culinary point of view and, and I think also having that is when we talked about the confidence, like mm. once you realize like, well, nobody is, even if they're doing it, how I'm doing it, they're not doing it, why I'm doing it. Yeah. Or maybe we have the same why, but we don't have the same how. Yeah. Or maybe we have the same why and the how, but we don't have the same who. Yeah. And, right? So yeah. you're in your blue ocean. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. And I, I love thinking about you guiding brands on how to do this because I think it's, it's hard to do by yourself. It's hard to recognize your difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you if we have time, the backstory on how I figured out culinary point of view, do you want to hear that? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Oh my gosh. I don't know how many years ago this was, but this was a long time ago. I had auditioned for the next food network star. And so I had made it to the semifinals. I was super excited. I I got flown to California Mm -hmm. and all this secret stuff. And I got a chance to cook for Jada De Laurentiis. It was great. And so after we filmed like some of the segments, you know, the producers were pulling each one of us into the trailer. And I remember uh, one of the producers said, okay, you know, we really need to craft your culinary point of view. Mm. And I was like, my what, you know, and they were like, well, we need to be able to build a story around you in order for, you you know, to build a character. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I thought I did a really good job. You know, I, it was only 13 of us there. because So I was just sure that I had made it on the show. Right. Yeah. And I could not verbalize or communicate to them the culinary, my culinary point of view. And so I didn't make it on the show. Like I was on the first episode, but I didn't make it on the show. And I remember going back, you know, several years after and like watching, um, you know, these larger than life personalities. Mm. And I was like, oh, I see their culinary point of view. And so then I went on a mission to really hone in my culinary point of view. And it took, I will say, trying to do it on my own, it took years (laughs) and several different iterations to figure it out. But that is how I realized how significant that was. That's such a cool story. And like, you know, while I'm sorry that it like didn't work out the way you wanted to, like, you know, on that series in particular, but what a valuable lesson for you to have. Yeah, yeah. And then now I can't unsee it. I see it everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm... I love that. I'm going to have to think about my, my own, you know, I don't know, consultant point of view and like what, what I bring to the table there. That's, that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Okay. So any other steps that we need to think about right now? So I would say, and then I would say the bulk of the work is really look at your client journey. And so for every brand, every product, every service service that's going to be different and ask yourself one map out what are all what is that journey right mm-hmm. um, yep. from you know just someone being curious about your brand like I said all the way through purchase and repurchase yep. and ask yourself how can I create um, a distinction something memorable mm-hmm. at each one of those points and mm-hmm. I always tell people you don't have to do it all at the same time initially just mapping that out a lot of people don't even have that process written down. Um, map that out and then start, you know, brainstorming, you know, keep a swipe out when you've interacted with brands or ordered from their website or went to their social media. What did you like? You know, what drew you in? What caught your eye and kind of make notes. And once you do that, you'll start to say, okay, 
when someone has a question, I really like when a brand has FAQs or maybe they have a chat box on their website or whatever you like, right? And think about how you can incorporate that into your brand and then create a project list and say, okay, Q3, we're going to tackle these things, Q4, until you get to the point where now all of these things are in place. They're either automated or there's, you know, standard operating procedures in place and they're firing. And I guarantee you, I can guarantee you, even if you don't change your marketing, your revenue will go up. Yeah. Oh, and I, I want to highlight two things that you said here that, that really resonated with me. The first one being that it can, you know, you alluded to it being as easy as pen and paper, just like literally sit down and write out what that customer journey is. And most of us haven't done that step, right? So if, if someone's listening and is feeling intimidating, by intimidated by that process, I mean, Evelyn, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like set a timer for 10 minutes, get a pen and a notebook and literally just write it out. Just write it out. Yeah. yeah. That's it. You know, and then Instagram, what happens next? Exactly. <laughs> How do people that. engage? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I just did it actually. So we're going through a, a big rebrand after seven years of Food Biz Whiz. We're doing a, a big rebrand. You know, it's a, as you as you know, it's a long process. Mm-hmm. And um, our branding agency had me map out the customer journey. And I will tell you, it looked like a tangled spider web. <laughs> and I was like, aha, this is why we need to streamline things. Like this is why after seven years, it's time to refresh and like tidy these things up Mm -hmm. and make sure that each touch point is really, really intentional. Um, And then that second thing that you, you touched on that really, really lands with me is this idea that you don't have to implement all of the changes at once and that you can expect it and it should take time. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think we fall victim to thinking that we want everything done, you know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so important to give ourselves that that space and that grace to understand that it's okay if you schedule, you know, updating your Instagram bio for <laughs> six weeks from now. Like that that's okay. We're busy people. Absolutely. And I think one of my favorite examples is I have a client. Well, she's actually about to enter into year three with me, but when I first met her, she has a she has a catering company and she also has a spice line. Mm-hmm. And when when we first started working together, I did not change her prices. I, mm-hmm. I knew that we would. All we did was we spent the first year just going through and tightening up her or her client journey process and mm-hmm. literally her revenue 10 times per month. Her marketing <sighs> changed at all and not work on marketing her graphics her brand her brand image did not change nothing none of that changed her prices did not change all we did was go through from the moment they meet your brand to what happens when they paid you and beyond and we spent a year maybe 16 months just cleaning that up and so her revenue 10x a month wow oh my god that's a great case study Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm that. like, listen, then when you rebrand and you get extra right. and you do all the things, like it just is just exponential from there. Yeah. And now she's going on vacation and has fresh flowers, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, let me tell you what's funny. She actually had two catering events in one day while she was on a cruise. Oh my God. <laughs> Cause she had I a team. Like, 
Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. I'm sure that you are such a blessing for her and she's so grateful that you came into her life. Yeah. And vice versa. I I love that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. So as we, as we wrap up here, Evelyn, I'm, I'm curious if there's anything that we didn't touch on that is, that is really valuable for our producers of packaged products to Mm -hmm. think about as they as they transition to a high-end brand, because I know we talked a little bit about service providers and things are a little bit different when you're a packaged product. So is there anything, anything left on the table that we didn't talk about there? Yeah, I think so. I think depending on, you know, the size of your packaged product business, you know, I would say for future succession planning, thinking about what are the other manifestations of your product? Mm -hmm. Meaning if you make a hot sauce, um, you know, could you create a cookbook in the future that talks about hot sauces from around the world or features recipes with your hot sauce, right? Could you eventually create content so that people can now start to experience your brand in another way that your main anchor product or service is still the same, but then how can I take this same knowledge the same skill set and diversify the way I'm putting it into the marketplace, right? Can you teach people about the peppers? Can you teach people about the vinegars, right? So how do you, how do you take a product and make an experience out of it Mm long-term again, not something you have to do tomorrow or in six months. You know, I, I remember when I was running the cooking school, we had a lot of, um, uh, winemakers and, yep. and craft beer makers. I'm in Texas, so craft beer is huge here. Yeah. And so I remember that what they one of the things they really enjoy, enjoyed was we would have events around their products, right? So um, we we've done olive oil tastings, you know, blind olive oil tastings. Yep. We've done you know beer dinners, craft dinners, right? And so it was people who were fans of their brand now could come mm. and have this experience with them. It, it then it turned into an additional revenue stream, obviously, yep. Yep. but they were still just the package brand, but they had these different manifestations of their expertise. And so I would say, you know, thinking on terms, think about how they could do that if their brand is at a level where they have the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it just makes, I think I like the disclaimer, like you have to make sure you have the bandwidth, but like down the line, like when are, when and how are your customers going to have the opportunity to dive even deeper with you mm-hmm. and in and then like spend more money with you, right? Basically. <laughs> I'm like, how can we make these like repeat purchases? I actually think we've got um a wonderful retail ready student, Sana of Diaspora Co. And she sources spices from India. Mm-hmm. And um she does like primarily direct consumer and like a little bit of wholesale. And she launched a um I think she calls it a, her like masala daba, which is this like really beautiful hand spun brass container that's like traditional to Indian cuisine, where you have like the little tiny um, containers of spices. So you're like, you know, in your kitchen, you would pull out this container and it would have all your spices here. And sure enough, it was like... <laughs> very expensive because it's hand spun and this like beautiful experience that then could like contain all of the spices she sold. And sure enough, like people went 
bonkers for this. Mm -hmm. It sold out like almost immediately. She's got a wait list now for the next round of it. But then on the other hand, there were these other people who were like, why is it so expensive? Like, you know, yeah, I can buy one at the corner store for $10.99. Like, why is yours over a hundred bucks? Like, what is, you know, what is that? Um, how can you justify the price? And sure enough, through her storytelling, through her emails and that communication with her audience, there was that core crowd that recognized it. And in in fact, like almost like thanked her for adding this additional thing onto her product assortments besides just spices, right? I find that I think one of the biggest mindset shifts, and we didn't spend a whole lot of time in this area, is that we have to recognize there are some people who are not always looking for a bargain. There are some people who want to treat themselves or indulge or enjoy a higher price point they or the, or that is their normal right and so yeah. um knowing that like you said two very different you know portions of her audience but the people who wanted it like were thankful yeah for this higher yeah. price they probably felt like they had a piece of her brand. They probably felt yes. like they were an exclusive club. Like I've got number one of however many that she had, right? And so exactly. I got the first yeah. drop, right? There are people who value that. And so that caters to that group of people. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. And, you know, we, um, you know, we, we think about that, that experience of spending, I don't know, on a jar of spices and how many jars she would have to sell in order to have that same experience of, you know, that same revenue as selling one $200 daba, right? Um, So it's always, I always go back to the financials and like how much we need to sell in order to, to hit that, that revenue goal. Absolutely. And I would say the last thing is that um, to study other industries, that are um, not food related, but make sense, like maybe other product-based businesses. For example, let's say you do have, you know, these wonderful exotic spices that are a higher price point. One of the things that I love, and I'm going to use makeup again, is what they'll do is they'll introduce like really luxe. They already have luxe packaging, but they'll do like a limited edition run of something they already sell, but it's like this super special Packaging is limited edition. There's only X available. And your diehard fans are going to be like, oh, I need need the special (laughs) version or this limited edition um, spice that you're not going to run all the time. And it only launches once a year. Right. And once it's gone, it's gone. But you you learn that from watching other product based industries that you may not see in food. But, you know, if, if a spice brand came out and they were like, we have this spice that we only sell for 15 days a year. Yep. Because it's so luxe and yep. it takes us X amount of hours to blend and the ingredients are handpicked or whatever the story is. Yeah. And it's like, and I only have a hundred available. I'm guaranteed oh. that our fans are buying it up. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And you're basically describing what Sana has, has built her business into, you know, mm-hmm. she, she has these, you know, it's a, it, spices are an agricultural product. So like when you run out, you're you're out, yes. you know. Certainly, of like the quality that she's she's sourcing, and like there is something that's. Gosh, we you're right. We could do a whole other episode on this, but the there's something about like creating those raving fans and those people who will you know bend over backwards to pay whatever price you're asking for for your product. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so many good things to think about here. And Evelyn, I'm just waiting for people to like. I guess I'll, I'll, here's a call to action for our audience. 
if you are listening to this episode and you are like, oh my gosh, yes, like you ladies are speaking my language, screenshot it, share it on Instagram, tag the two of us and tell us that you are ready to, you know, create that high end culinary brand. I'm so excited for our listeners. Absolutely. So Evelyn, how can people find you and where can they keep in touch with you? Yeah, so I am on YouTube and Instagram at Chef Evelyn. I do weekly video series about building a high-end culinary brand. And, you know, if they kind of want to stay in touch with me behind the scenes, they can join what I call my Chefpreneur Society. And by going to chefevelyn.com forward slash society society and joining my email list. So we'd love to have you. We'll put all of those in the show notes so people can certainly click through and stay in touch with you. So Evelyn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a pleasure to spend time with you today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Of course. And of course, to my listeners, thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode. I am really curious. So for some of you who thought you had a high-end culinary brand, just because you were expensive, maybe you've realized you've got some work to do. So I want to know what is the very first step that you are going to take after listening to today's show. So come and let me know by sending me a DM. Like I said, tag me and Evelyn on Instagram or join in on the conversation in our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group linked in the show notes. So I will see you right back here next week for a rapid fire Q&A episode to wrap up season eight of the Food Biz Whiz podcast. Have a good one and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.